I, I trust that most of you have been enjoying our series on Encounter God, the attributes of God. And uh, we've been doing this understanding of God because I don't know about you, but even as someone who's been doing this for about 35, 36 years, somewhere around there, we always learn new stuff. You know, when the, when the elders and the living creatures are before the throne in heaven, they just keep seeing new attributes of God and going, whoa, didn't see that one. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Sure, it's amazing. Oh, another one. Holy, holy, holy. And, and I think that sometimes we as Christians, we just get so satisfied with a little bit we got. I'm born again, got my ticket to heaven. You know there's so much more for us. And so today I want to carry on uh, with, with our series. And, and we're going to talk about, Carol talks about big words, but there are some big words. And sometimes we just throw them out there so that people can go, hmm, imminence, imminence. Hmm, just say imminence. imminence. Great, see, you guys are used to it already. Um, I don't know about you, but have any of you ever felt like God has asked you to do something that you really didn't want to do. This is me when God told me I had to leave the chemical labs and go into the ministry. I was like, no, I'm safe in my labs and my lab coat and my acids and bases. And I know what it takes. But ministry, gosh. This, uh, you know, in, in this group, and I'm sure many of you have at times had God ask you things to do that you thought were just way too difficult. And there are many Christians who feel like, well, God, you know what, if, if you want that done, send an angel or send someone else and we try and run and hide from what he tells us to do. Any of you ever done, I know, but you know someone who's done that. We won't ask for a show of hands, but big toes. Can I see all the big toes, people who've... I want to tell you a story about a prophetic minister. This was quite a few years back. And God appeared to him and said to him, I want you to be my messenger to what was at that stage a very violent, very abusive, very torturous group of people who had a warrior army that would do so many horrendous things that if I had to even explain half of them, this message would be age-restricted. They were just crazy. In fact, historians tell us that the army, the soldiers, had PTSD from the things that they were made to do. And God comes to this man and he says, these are the most evil people in this area. I want to send you, as my prophetic man of God, to go to them and say, your evil is going to lead to a judgment in which I will have to smiteth you from the faceth of the earth.'" And he says to this prophet, I want you to go as my messenger and say, unless you repenteth, God will smiteth you from the face of the earth. This was during the old English, so I have to just um, King James a little bit. He didn't want to do it, so he tries to flee from the Almighty, saying, I don't like what you asked of me. We could go on, but time is short. And so he decides he is going to run away. And he runs away from God. Ever tried running away from God? He didn't want to go for two reasons, and I think you can understand. These, 
this particular nation, God says to him, I want you to go to their capital city. And their capital city was, was quite large. It took three days to get from one end of the capital city to the other. And uh, he says, I want you to go to their capital city. And I want you to tell them that unless they repent, they shall be smitten. Now, what these people did to their enemies and people who opposed them was so horrendous that this particular prophetic minister realizes, if they don't like what I have to say, they're going to probably kill me in a torturous ways over many, many days. And this job not well pays. Uh, you're not giving me any safety guarantees. And so I would rather run away. Hey, that was pretty good. And so he decides, I don't want to be smitten by these people and I'm going to run. But the other reason he wants to run and not do this is because these people are so incredibly terrible. Everyone hates them and he would rather have them smitten. How many of you have felt that way? Neighbors who play loud music, dogs that bark. Mm. And you don't want God to have mercy on them. You want him to have mercy on you. There's some people, right? So he came up with this brilliant idea, and, and it is actually, there's a, there's a best-selling book out of his autobiography, um, and he chronicled this in terms of his life story. It's called How to Run Away from God by Jonah in the Whale. <laughs> oh, I see. Some of you have read it. You know the story. Now, God says to him, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrians. The Assyrians are so cruel, they invented some of the most torturous things that were then adopted by many generations later. In fact, here's the interesting thing. The Assyrians were the ones who invented crucifixion. And so they are like so wicked. And God says to him in Jonah 1, go to this great city and preach against it because its wickedness has come up against me. And the brutality of the Assyrians, one historian concludes this. Their brutality was extreme, even for ancient standards of cruelty. The Assyrians used brutality as a form of psychological warfare. They invented the crucifixion. Now, here's God. He wants to release his mercy and his presence and his forgiveness. So he comes to one of his own. Hey, Jonah. Hi, God. While you're doing your quiet time this morning, I'd like to ask you a small thing. Okay, Lord, what is it? Jonah refuses. When Jonah refuses and tries to run away, we see a God who, although these people are so evil and everyone else wants them wiped out, God is not prepared to not give them a chance to be shown mercy. So Jonah runs away. And we all hear what he does. He gets on a ship bound for Tarshish. Any of you know where that is? I have no idea. It sounds like a sauce that you'd put on something special. What is that sauce called? Anyway, and he gets on the ship, and they're on the way to Tarshish. And while he's on the ship, God decides, Jonah, there is no plan B. I'm not sending angels. I'm sending you. So he just does this. And the waves come up, and the storm hits the ship, and it says the ship's about to break apart. And they're all up there crying to all of their gods, oh God of this and God of that. And the guy who worships the God who created it and is causing the storm is fast asleep at the bottom, because do you know that running away from God can tire you out? 
So he's fast asleep at the bottom. It's like, awake him. Cry out to your God. What's going on? Whose God is angry with us? In those days, it was all about God's being angry. And so they cast lots to see whose God is this. And the lot falls to Jonah. Jonah, what have you done? And he tells him he's running away from his God. And so, you know, they say, listen, what do we do? He says, the only way to stop this is to throw me overboard. They think this is a bit too overboard. So they, no, let's try everything. They throw in the cargo off. They're trying to row back. And God just blows more. And eventually the storm is so bad that they say, God, forgive us, but we have to throw this man overboard. And they throw Jonah over. And as he's going down, and they see the bubbles coming up. And Jonah's like, well, Lord, I try to run away. I guess I'm going to drown in my sorrows now. Interesting historical fact. I did a lot of work on, on this, reading a lot of historical context, that although the Assyrians invented crucifixion, it was at this point in time that God invented the world's first submarine. <laughs> and that is what we call research. So the first submarine is assigned to the Assyrians. This huge fish, we don't know if it was a whale, Jonah didn't know the name of the fish. He didn't ask. It just got swallowed. Very impolite. And he's there, and he's stuck in the belly, and he repents. He says, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. And he, he's, oh, God, I'm sorry. Okay, I'll do it, God. I'll do it. And so the fish comes and spills him out, and there he is on the beach in Nineveh. I don't know if they repented because of how he looked and how he smelt seaweed and cod hanging from his ears but either way they repented and not only did these evil people the evil people repented God relented what did Jonah do Jonah vented Jonah's like God how could you do this that's why I didn't want to go listen to what Jonah's complaint is would you like to hear Jonah's complaint so Jonah is really mad at God. You ever been mad at God because he didn't, you know, smitten someone you thought needed smittenness, smittenitis, smittenizing. That's the word. And so he says to the Lord, "Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you, God, with a big finger in the sky, are a gracious God." <laughs> And a compassionate God. I knew that you were slow to anger, abounding in love, that you would relent from sending calamity. Wow. I mean, how's that for dissing God? God, you're so amazing, I'm so mad at you. And then he says, so I'd rather you just kill me. Gosh, what a reaction. Jonah reacts like this, and he's supposed to be the Christian in this picture. The evil, brutal murderers are the ones who repent. And receive God's mercy in his presence. God didn't have a plan B. How many of you know we still live around some Ninevite Assyrians? Maybe they are not doing violent and crazy things. But there is out there in the world the people who don't know God. And some of them are violent and cruel and brutal. And God comes to you and he says, I want you to go. And we look at them and go, I mean Jonah looked and go, they may torture me. We go, they might persecute me and not like me anymore. Please send someone else, God. 
I don't know if you can see the difference. But the moral of what we want to look at today in God's imminence is that you cannot run away from God. The moral of this story is that whether you're a good person or an evil person or a murderer or a brutal, violent person, you are never able to get too far to where God's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, merciful presence cannot reach you. People who are running away from God are scared that he's going to judge them. How many of you know this? Why do people say, I don't go to church? Because the church is so judgmental. But the people who are the worst come running to God because he didn't want to judge them. God did not send his son into the earth to judge the world. Right? Are we catching this? God is more merciful than you have been taught. And his presence wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives, good and evil. Every aspect of creation. And so... Today I want you to just look at what David wrote. And uh, Jonah, obviously, although he had the Psalms, probably didn't read this right. But David says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I get swallowed by a large fish, you are there. If I run off to Tarshish, wherever that might be, you are there. I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost paths of the sea, you are there. Even there, your hand, whoa, did I go a little too quick? I'm trigger happy here. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the light become night around me, then even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. In other words, no matter how dark your life has been, no matter how dark the life is of those you're reaching out to, there is no darkness that overcomes the light of God. And who is the light of the world? Jesus said, I come as the light, but now I give you my light. And then he says, you are now the light of the world. Just nod with me. It feels good. So we're talking today about God's imminence. This literally means his nearness, his presence, his involvement in all creation. And Father, I pray that you would change our minds today, that we would understand the power of your merciful, graceful, loving presence in our lives, that you would show us, just as you did with Assyria, that you love every person on this planet. I pray that you'd remove veils from our faces, from the ways that we see, from our eyes, that we would see you as you truly are. Any person here who feels like one of the Assyrians, that they've done wrong, that they are judged, that they are uh, unacceptable to you and unworthy, we cut that off right now. And I thank you that your light comes in and silences all darkness. Let me ask you, when you get to your house at night, do you shout at the darkness and scream and fight with it? No, you don't. You just turn on the light. Lord, would you come and turn on your light in our lives today? How many of you have heard this? That God is a God who just kind of created this creation like a big clock. He wound it up and sat back to see what would happen. Do you know there are many people who believe that? Now, whether they put it to you like that, but they believe that it's too hot up here to wear a jacket, firstly. But they believe that God just created the world and then he's just sitting there like watching from a distant place. He's not involved. 
God's imminence says that God is involved in every part of creation. Every aspect of our lives. Colossians 1 says this. Listen, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, but also in him all things are held together. So if Jesus weren't holding creation and atoms together, what would happen? Can you see what's happening? If Jesus isn't holding our screens together and our projection, you see what happens. Acts 17, Carol put this in the devotional that you will be looking at this week. In him we live and move and have our being. He determined the exact place that you would live, move, and have your being. Oh, I was an accident. There are no accidents. My parents said I was a mistake. There are no mistakes. God determined that you would be here in this time and place. He wants to be intimately involved in your life. His ultimate desire is not just to, to say, oh, guys, I'm everywhere, because we know he's everywhere. But he wants his intimate, glorious presence to be intimately fellowshipping with you, to be powerfully effective in your life. And so I want to, I want to look at, Lord, would you hold the, the power of the projection together? I want to just remind us of something that we have taught before. God's desire when he created creation was to do what? To dwell. He wants to dwell. He wasn't creating creation just for fun. It wasn't like giving your daughter Play-Doh and see what she does. God had a strategic plan, and when he created us, he wanted you so that he could live inside of you, that his presence would be in you, that you would take his presence throughout this entire earth and rule creation. Man messed it up a little. And when he messed it up, the Bible says all of creation is now groaning, waiting for the redemption of the sons and daughters of God. Man wasn't the only one that came under a curse. Creation did. So God says, I want to dwell with man. I want to be with them. I'm going to have to start a repair process. So he calls Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And I'm going to allow my presence to dwell that my glory would be in this nation. So the other nations can see what it's like. And you can be an example to the nations of what a godly, God-created people can do. And so he creates this nation, and it is called Israel. Some of you have heard of it. Firstly, Moses starts. He gives in the tabernacle. What happens when Moses builds the tabernacle? The pillar of cloud comes down. The glory fills the tabernacle, so much so that the priests cannot stand and do their duty. Then David gets the idea to, let's make this thing out of brick and mortar now that we've got it Jerusalem. We don't have to carry it anymore. Solomon builds the temple. And as they dedicate the temple, what happens? The cloud falls upon the temple. The glory fills the house, so much so the priests can't do their duty. God's presence, His glory, right amongst the people. Is God happy? No, because this is also just a start. He doesn't just want one place that everyone's got to run to. He wants to be everywhere. How do I know? Because Habakkuk prophesies something. Habakkuk says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How many of you remember that? Now, if the earth's going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, then just one little temple won't do. Would you agree? So God takes us a step further, and he says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to come down, and I'm not going to be just God whose spirit dwells in a temple. I'm going to come down in physical human form. And so Jesus... His name shall be 
Her virgin will be with child and she shall call him Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. So he says, Jesus. We would think this is the ultimate. The disciples thought this was the ultimate. We now have God. Once they figured it out, it took them years to figure out who he was. Once they figured it out, they were like, we're going to make you king. We're going to run this world. We're gonna... And Jesus said, no. We've got God living with us. How many of you would think that would be the pinnacle of everything? We, we walk around. We see healings. We see demons coming out. But Jesus could only be one place at a time. So Jesus says to him, actually, guys, <laughs> it's better that I go. What do you mean it's better that you, so that I can send the Holy Spirit? What's he doing? He's taking us right back to his original created purpose. Where his presence can be operating in fullness everywhere. So Jesus comes as Emmanuel. He dies on the cross, which the disciples didn't like. And when he rises from the dead, what's the first thing he does? He appears to his disciples and he says, guys, I've paid the price now. No matter what you've done, you can all now carry my presence again. I'm going to release my glory inside of you again, just like I designed you to be right from the beginning. And he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. From that moment on, the first time in thousands of years, man is once again, not just in the everywhere presence of God, but the actual indwelling glory of God living inside of us. How many of you would have liked to have lived around Jesus and followed him everywhere? I would have. Jesus says, this is better. It took me a while to realize that. I was like, Jesus, I want to walk with you where I can talk with you, see you, etc. Why do we think that's better? Why do we think Moses speaking face to face with God is better? Because he could see God. We could see Jesus. Friends, let me tell you this. Don't let the fact that God is invisible undermine your thinking that he's somehow less present with you than he will even be on the day that you appear before him in heaven. He is just as real. And Jesus said, even more so, this is better because my Holy Spirit can now come upon everyone who accepts me. And so he breathes on his disciples and he says, you are now my presence carriers. He doesn't just want the presence in us. He wants the presence on us. So he says, wait until the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Bam, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now they are clothed in the power and presence. Now they are filled with the glory of God. And God's hope is that they will take that and change the world. 120 people. And we know what happened in the book of Acts. Something went wrong because now if you read the book of Acts and you look at the church today, you go, wait a second, what happened? God is busy restoring Will you be like Jonah who will say, God, I'm happy here. Thanks. Choose someone else. Or will you say, God, I want to be a part of everything that you're restoring. I want to experience what those early church disciples experienced. And yet Jesus takes it one step further. It's not good enough that his presence just dwells in you as a temple of the Holy Spirit. He says, I never called you to just be one presence carrier passing another like ships in the night. I want to bring every presence carrier together in a unified body that he calls the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the... It doesn't say the gates of hell will not prevail against a Christian. It says the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. And so as the church, we are meant to operate in community with one another. Maybe you've never discipled someone in your life, but if you aren't in the church, you'll never be discipled and taught how to disciple someone. 
And so if we want to go and be the light of the world, we have to do it as the church. We have to do it in relationship. We have to do it together. Jesus sent them out two by two. Remember? And so we must respond in two ways that I want to touch on in, in the seven hours we have left in closing. We've talked quite a bit on this, but how do we increase and build our temple of the Holy Spirit? How many of you would agree with me that there is more of God's presence for you than what you're experiencing now? So for those three people, now let me ask, how many of you would agree with me there's more of God than what you're experiencing now? Okay. Moses, before he built the tabernacle, God's presence is with him, leading the Israelites out. And God says to him, Moses, I called these Israelites out, I set them apart, but they don't want any part of it. So, Moses, I'll tell you what, you mosey on over there, I'll just wipe them out quickly. Moses says, don't do that. Then they keep getting on God's nerves, and eventually God says to Moses, Moses, I'll tell you what, you go to the promised land, I will send my big angel ahead of you, he'll still wipe out your enemies, he'll still... Take care of her. You'll still get the promised land. You'll still get the promises. You will still get the protection of my angel. You'll still, all the P's, perceive, pursue, perpetual presence, promises, uh, protection, power. You'll still get prosperity. You can still have all the priests. You, you know, I, I don't know how many P's we can keep going with. But I will not go with you for you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. There are so many Christians who would take that deal. Jesus, make me rich. But they don't press in for his presence. Seek his face before you seek his hand, and you'll get his hand too. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. All the other things will be added to you too. And we look at the, the I think most of Israel would have said, cool, we go in, big angel, man. We, this is like a Marvel movie. But the creator's left standing there. Moses says this to him. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us out from here. How's anyone in this world going to know that you're pleased with us and their people unless you go with us? What else distinguishes us and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Why can people be in a workplace? I've shared this before, but I had a couple in, when we were posturing in Rosebank come up and, and uh, the one looked at the other and said, Oh, you also in this church? Yeah, you also in this church? Yeah. How long have you been a Christian? Oh, about 20 years. You? Yeah, about 12 years. Oh, how long have you two been working together? Oh, about eight years. They didn't even know the other was a Christian. <laughs> so we are so happy to go about our lives and just have our ticket to heaven. We're so happy to just have all the deals, but what about the presence? What about being presence carriers everywhere you go? Do people in your workplace or your school or your campus know that you're a presence carrier. And you can't force yourself to be a presence carrier. I tried. And I realized only when I press into God to perceive and pursue His perpetual presence more and more and more do I find that I want to reveal His presence more. He gives me the power, the passion. It's like fire shut up in my bones that you just can't say no to.
Jesus said this. I was just trying to find a verse that I had in my other notes. John 15, he says, I'm the vine, you the branches. Unless you abide in me, you can do nothing. And I think the reason many Christians are not being very effective is because we're not abiding in the vine. Now, we've talked a lot on the presence. We've taught a lot on abiding in the vine. We, you know, I shared quite a bit of this in the message on eternity and infinity. So I want to say that once we get this right, press into it, constantly being aware of his presence, cry out for more of his presence. There's quite a bit in the devotional you're going to be doing this week that will help. But it has to end with us taking that presence and being the Jonas to our modern Nineveh. God does not have a plan B. How many of you have seen angels show up in great big mass gatherings at rock concerts and spread the gospel? It would work, maybe. I don't know. How does God do it? Salt and light. He takes you, 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 and you, and you, and you, and yes, you too. And he scatters you over the Assyrian meat pile. And you change the flavor. You bring change. Don't look at your colleagues and say they're worse than the Assyrians. Because the Assyrians repented the moment they saw the light. Don't look at anyone and say they're too hard. You keep releasing the light and the glory of God. We put it in, in like one little catchphrase for you, easy to remember. Encounter God, impact the world. Encounter God, impact the world. Are you going to respond like Jonah or Jesus, you know? <laughs> Jonah didn't have the presence of God enough in him to where he carried the value system of God. But we would have looked at him and said he's a man of God. Would you agree? Jonah is the prophet. He is from God. I was a Christian for so long, but I didn't have the value system of God. I didn't have his presence and his value system operating in me. So first of all, we want to cry out, God, that you'd give us your value system, your presence. But then we want to be the light. There is no plan B in your workplace. You might be the only one. There's no plan B in your lost family. You might be the only one. What if you are the only Jonah? God doesn't throw storms at cars anymore as you're quickly driving away from that witnessing session. Opportunity. But he's constantly moving on your heart. And when Holy Spirit, Carol shared this last week, and I want to just repeat it. It's not difficult. You don't have to bang them over the head with the Bible. You just say, Lord, who are you leading me to to just start a conversation? Hey, how are you doing? What do you think of our new water fountain? Yeah, it's pretty good. Water's the same, though. Yeah, yeah, but still, I, I, I am just so grateful for, for this, you know. And you start a conversation, and then you ask questions. So what do you like about water? You know, it can be very simple. They might go, you're strange. But you, you ask questions. And as you ask questions, so, you know, where did you grow up? Where's your family? Are you married? Do you have children? How are you enjoying your job? And as they tell you and you listen carefully, you will see where they're at. Are they grumpy and complaining? Were they raised in pain? Do, what do they need? And then you can, as you listen, find some hooks that you can share your story. Wow, you know, that's, that's amazing. I went through something similar. This is, this is what God did in my life. I, I know this might be weird, but do you mind if I pray for you? What, here? At the water fountain? No, we'll do it with our eyes open. We'll just pretend we're talking. 
God, I pray that you'd bless James, even as he drinks that water. I pray that you would come with your presence right now, and I pray that you would heal that child of his that's so ill. Do you hear what I'm saying? Natural. I think some of us fear going out there because we've seen these crazy pictures of what it's like to be a extreme, whatever, charismaniac. Jesus just went and befriended, and he befriended sinners. He befriended prostitutes, SARS employees. Can I urge us not to just be happy that I have Holy Spirit in me and I got my ticket to heaven, but to realize who it is that lives in me, increase his presence, increase his power, increase my awareness of him, increase his value system, his heart, change my ways of thinking to his so that I can be the light wherever he sows me in darkness.